got two Bibles up here, and I've got paperwork in both, so let me move things around. All right, First uh, Peter chapter 5, and uh, as I said before, when I uh, opened the service this morning, that I was going to read from verse 1 all the way through verse 11, but that I would be preaching on verses 5 through 11. Uh, so let's go ahead and read from the beginning of that chapter. So it says, I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. So last week we, uh, we spent our time talking about the office of the elder, and we talked about the work and ministry of, of the pastor as it was laid out in verses 1 through 4. And there's some very important information for the church in those verses as to what the, uh, what the focus of the pastor is, is to be, what his priority is in ministry. Uh, there are a lot of things that the pastor can get distracted by, and uh, there are a lot of things that the church can allow the, the pastor to get distracted by, but uh, they, there is a priority that the pastor must have. Uh, we learn that he is to provide oversight uh, to the church, and oversight uh, implies authority. He is given authority over the church, and as Peter says, he is given authority over the church to shepherd the flock. Um, he is not given this authority just so that he can be the boss or the CEO or anything else like that. That's not the motto of the Christian church. As I shared last week, that's not the motto because we are not a business, we are a family of God. Uh, that's, that's one of the biggest differences between a, a, a business and, and a church. There are many other differences as well. But, so the pastor should not be looked at as a CEO of the church, but rather he is the pastor, he is the shepherd of the flock. And when you use the term shepherd, there's a lot that goes into that name. Uh, Psalm 23, we learn that uh, Christ, Jesus Christ, is, is the greatest shepherd. And we see what his work is in Psalm 23. Well, that is to be the work of uh, the, the, the shepherd, the little s, uh, that is to be the work of the pastor uh, within the church. So he is to 
care for the church. He is to uh, protect the church. Uh, he is to discipline, uh, lead the church in, in discipline, and he is also to guide those that God has placed under his care, under his leadership. So we see how important it is uh, for the church to have a godly pastor, uh, because if the church has a godly pastor, that's a wonderful start. But the pastor's not everything, and, and that was part of the, uh, the topic of, of, of concern last week that I mentioned, that the pastor's not to be all for the church. Uh, first of all, he's not the savior of the church, Jesus is. Uh, he's not, he, he, he doesn't, uh, he, he's not the, uh, the person who is living for the church, but rather Jesus is. Um, so we know that Jesus is everything to the church, for he is the head, the Bible says, and, and the body uh, follows suit. But the pastor does shepherd the church, and the important thing is, though, is that, as I said, he is not everything to the church, but he must have someone that follows. Um, and that's extremely important. If he has no one that follows him, then basically it's all for naught. It, it's, just, it's just a man who is talking to people who are not listening. Okay? And, and, and that would be an issue because if, if I pastored this church and I would stand up here before you every single Sunday and I'd, I'd preach the word of God to you faithfully and no one's responding to that, then I'd be concerned. And you know what the concern would be? That I'm speaking to unbelievers. That would be the concern. Because the Bible says that, that his sheep know his voice. And if, if I'm doing my job as the pastor, as the preacher, if I'm doing my job as a preacher and giving the word in context and, and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit and no one's responding, then that would be my concern. That's not my concern. My, that's not my concern at all. Uh, I see repentance on a regular basis. And that's the way it should be, and that's the way it needs to continue um, to be. Uh, so we understand that preaching is extremely important, um, that the pastor's not there just to preach, but he's to shepherd and lead the church. But uh, there needs to be a following. Someone uh, needs to follow the pastor. And not for the sake of following the pastor, but it's like Paul said, uh, you know, you follow me as I follow Christ. And, and it's the a, it's a same difference. We're not just leading people uh, to nowhere, uh, we are all following Christ. And uh, that's the important thing behind it. So, uh, but if there's no one to follow, then as I said, it's all for naught. And that is why Peter, he follows up his exhortation to the elders with an exhortation to those who are, the, the scripture says, younger in verse 5. Um, he addresses those who are under the authority of the elders. Uh, younger uh, it could mean two things. It, it could mean uh, from a age perspective uh, that, that these congregants were younger than the elders who were there and they were to follow the lead of the elders. It could also mean that they were younger as far as spiritually is concerned, uh, that the pastor would be seen as someone who was spiritually mature and those who are younger, uh, they must follow his lead uh, as he is following Christ. So the, the, the title or the, the, word, uh, the, the word younger is, is uh, pointing to the congregation. And in addressing both parties, not just one or the other, okay? Because this is not about me standing up here and saying, you guys need to just do what we say, and that's it. 
that's not church either, right? That's not church. It's, it's, it's the congregation and uh, the elders uh, working side by side uh, with each other as we follow Christ. So in addressing both parties, Peter points to three things that should be at the front of their minds. And the three things are humility, watchfulness, and hope. I think those are critical. Humility, watchfulness, and hope. This whole time we've been in this letter, we've understood that this church that we're speaking about today has, uh, it, it has suffered greatly. This church in Asia, it has suffered greatly. People have been dispersed. Uh, they, they were suffering great persecution. And Peter's writing this letter to them to encourage them. And while he's encouraging them, it's ending on this note. We've talked about a lot of things, and it's ending on this note. And I think, that is, uh, I, I think that's a perfect way to end this letter. Peter tells them, be humble people. That means deny yourself for the betterment of others. Be watchful. Be watchful of the, uh, the enemy and, this, and his schemes. And be hopeful. Be hopeful of the return of Christ. Mark 13 says this, Mark 13, verse 35. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. I think Peter, as, as he was writing this, had this in mind. He's finishing this letter and he's saying, listen, church, I've taught you many things. In closing, be humble, be watchful, and be hopeful. In other words, be ready. Always be ready. Be ready for the return of Christ. Because a church that is humble and watchful is a church that is ready for the return of its Savior. That's our sermon uh, summary for today. A church that is humble and watchful is a church that is ready for the return of its Savior. Basically, our, our passage here breaks down into three major components. Uh, verse 5 and 7, or excuse me, 5 through 7, discuss the humilities that believers are to share between one another. And here we're specifically talking about the elder and congregation relationship. Then we see verses 8 and 9. They discuss the watchfulness that the church is to have of the, devils and, of the devil and his schemes. And then verses 10 and 11 discuss the hope that we have of the Lord's return and also the glorification of the church, and we'll talk about what that means. So first, let's talk about humility. Humility must be the calling card of the church. Christians are known by, by love. That's what the Bible says, that we are to be known by our love. But if we are to understand love, we must understand that love flows from humility. Uh, John thirteen thirty five says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And as I said, we must understand that humility precedes love. If there is no humility, then there is no way love can be present. There, there's just no way. Um, I, I think th there are two great institutions that, that really reflect this. Number one is the church. If we are to love one another, we are to be humble to one another. And that love starts with humility. We need to humble ourselves. We need to serve ourselves, not for the sake of our own good, but for the sake of our brother or sister. And, and, and from that, love develops. The other institution is marriage. Can I get an amen for that? 
we have to humble ourselves to our spouse in order to love them. That, that's just it. Because love just doesn't appear out of anywhere. You know, love at first sight, that whole thing, it sounds cute, but it's not, it's not real. That's lust at first sight. That's not really love at first sight. There's a big difference. You see, but if we are going to love our spouse the way we are called to love them, then we must humble ourselves. And that's at the heart of what Peter is getting to, the fact that we must humble ourselves in order to love one another because we are to be recognized by our love. So when you you and I are given the perfect example of humility, we are, we're given that, that perfect example in Christ. He loved us, but he humbled himself, the Bible says. And he humbled himself, how? By, by clothing himself with flesh. Here it is, he, he, he is the creator of all things. All things were made through him. The Bible says he loved us, and then he showed us that love by humbling himself, clothing himself with flesh, dying on the cross as our substitute. What an example of humbleness and what an example of love that we are to follow. Christ is the apex of humility and love. And even though we will never reach that level, we are told in the Bible that we must follow his example. And here in our text, Peter says, for all, 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 this includes the elders, the congregants, for all to clothe themselves with humility toward one another. See, many times we, it, it's a one-way street. Many times and in many churches, there's a humility that, that is expected, but that's expected out of the congregants to the elders. But I'll tell you, that's not the godly way. The godly way is for all of us to clothe ourselves with humility as we serve one another because we are doing it out of love. It's not just the congregants humbling themselves to the elders. It's the elders humbling themselves to the, the congregation as well. And when we look at the, uh, the expression of humility between the two groups, it looks different. It should. But yet it is still humility going back and forth one to the other. The elders. The elders are to humble themselves to the flock by, Peter says, not shepherding under compulsion, but willingly. They are to humble themselves to the flock by, uh, by not doing it for shameful gain, but eagerly, and not being domineering over those in their charge, but being examples to the flock. That's how they humble themselves. A lot of people look at the office of elder or pastor and they say, oh, because he's front and center, I want to be that. Or he, you know, pastor or elder must be uh, this, this wonderful leader all the time. It must be nice to be in that position because he's always being served. If you have that perception about the pastor and elder, there's much you have to learn because the pastor and elder is called to be the greatest servant. If anybody attains this office with any other expectation, they're going to learn the hard way. We lead by example. We lead by serving you. That's the biblical model, and that's what we are told 
to do. Now the congregation, the congregants in return, must humble themselves by being subject to their elders. And being subject means that they are to submit to their leadership. I don't know why we don't talk about this much in churches today. I think this is extremely important because I, I, I think that there are some serious issues among the humility between the church's leadership and its congregation. And I think people get mixed up and, and, and then you start to see this like civil war taking place inside the church where you have a pastor against the deacon body and, and they're just going at it. Or you have several influential members and the pastor and they're just going back and forth trying to fight over the church as if the church belonged to them. Brothers and sisters, this is, we are the church, we belong to Christ. There's nothing to fight over, we're unified in Christ. And, and we are told to clothe ourselves with humility so that we can essentially serve Christ. And we can do what we have been called to do. Now this means, when, when you humble yourself, this means you, you set aside you set aside your personal wants sometimes for the betterment of the church. Now, notice what I said, you set aside your personal wants. I'm not saying you set aside biblical conviction, biblical truths. You don't set those aside because we do not set those aside. But there are things sometimes that are done by leadership and other members don't like it. And what starts to happen they start to speak, and what they're speaking is not godly, it's not good, and it's not uniting. Rather, it's tearing things apart. And then on the other side, there are some in leadership, some in the, in the office of the pastor, who just spend all their time talking about their congregants. And that's no better either. That leads to division. You see, we are to humble ourselves. We are to serve one another with the mentality that we are serving God in the process. The best scripture to display this humility on both parties is Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Really plain and simple. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, does this mean that you must obey them no matter what, especially if they're going against doctrine or going against what the Bible says? No, by no means. This is taking the assumption that the leaders are leading in a biblical way. If they are leading in a biblical way, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. You see the two parties being established here, uh, the examples given of both. First, the congregants, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's the humility on the congregation. Now the humility on the pastor, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now the next, the, next, the end of that verse, um, I, I hardly even like to read it, but it's there. As those who will give account. As those who will give an account. That means... 
your pastors, they're keeping watch over your souls, and they're going to give an account to God for the job that they do. I thank God that I have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because even though I try, I do not do this perfectly. The verse continues, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I really like that verse because it really describes the need for all to uh, be humble, and it also describes the benefit of everyone being humble. The need is, yeah, we need, we, we, the need is for the congregation to submit to their leadership, the, and, and the leadership to keep watch over their souls. But if the humbleness is there, then there will be joy. There will be joy in pastoring, and there will be joy in having that pastor. See, the basic message is that the flock should allow themselves to be shepherded by their elders. That, that's what it means to submit to the elder. Last week, we spent all of our time talking about the elder and what he should do, and I told you this week we were going to touch on the congregation and the congregation's part. I think one of the biggest issues when you talk about the congregation and their part is that they won't allow themselves to be shepherded by the pastor. Because a lot of people say, well, he's just, the pastor is just a figurehead. He's kind of just up there. He's kind of just this figurehead who he preaches the word of God to us but uh and and I can accept that but hey listen when it comes to my personal problems and it comes to my personal sin when it comes to what 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 involves me I'm in charge of that he he has no right to that some just say well you know what I'm going to keep him at arm's length um we'll get to know each other he'll know my name I'll know his I'll know his kids he'll know my kids Uh, But as far as anything else is concerned, that's just about it. Every now and then I'll ask him to pray for something for me. See, these are not scenarios that are biblical. There are some who just really bounce around, really don't have a church home, don't commit themselves to a church because they really don't want to be pastored. They really just want to be able to do what they want to do. Now, I know these, are, these things, they sound kind of harsh, but they're true. And I'm not saying that everybody here does this intentionally, but we do these things. Church, it's extremely important that if you are going to serve the Lord the way you are called to serve the Lord, you must allow your pastor to shepherd you. You must. Don't keep him at arm's length. Don't hide things just so the fact that he won't find out that you're a sinner. Believe me, he already knows you're a sinner. He's one too. It's amazing how... how we, we know that we are called to be a family. We know that we are called to be united in Christ. And it really sounds good most of the time until it comes to having to do it. 
then at that point it's like, oh, wait a second. I don't want you this close. I'd be careful with that. Because if you're saying you don't want your pastor that close to know those things, then essentially you could be saying, I don't want Christ that close. Or I really don't want to get rid of this sin I have. I'm kind of comfortable with it. I really don't want to help with it. This is my personal thing, and I'm going to get over it myself. These are all things that are not godly. And these are all reasons why people push the pastor away, but it should not be that way. Now, I will say that there are some people who are very considerate, and they say, you know what, the pastor has plenty to do. I don't want to disturb him. He has plenty to do. I know he's very busy. Well, remember, you are God's sheep. The pastor is called to shepherd the flock. That means you. I'm making a point to look at all of you. That means you. You're included in that. You let your pastors worry about their schedule. You humble yourselves and allow yourself to be pastored. Notice that the elder must give account to the way in which he shepherds the church. I, as I was writing this out, I was, uh, I was thinking back into years past. We haven't had many pets, but the pets that we've had, have, they, they're not easily forgotten. And I remember one time when Alicia and I got, when we first got married, we didn't have any kids and we wanted a pet, so we got a dog named Buster. Now Buster, Buster was very famous because Buster, he, he, he got out all the time. I could not keep Tim Fence in. When we first got him, he was a puppy and, and we, I put him in the backyard and there was a chain link fence and, and, and he had the whole backyard to roam around in. And uh, every single, almost, almost every day, he got to the point where he was, he was uh, getting out. And the very first time, the dog pound picked him up. And this was in Point Comfort. So Point Comfort, everybody knows everybody. But Buster gets out. I pay like $50 to get him out. And we put him back. And then he breaks out again. Well, instead of charging me another $50, uh, the person who was working the do- at the dog pound, well, we went to high school with him. So it started, Buster would break out, and then he'd bring Buster back home. And it, it, I saw him often, so I finally, I finally said, look, we can't do this anymore. Buster's going to have to go on a leash. So what I tried to do is I, I, I really don't like to get, uh, especially dogs, and then just keep them on the leash all the time. I, I just imagine myself, and I don't want to be on the leash, so I, I try not to do that with dogs. So I, what I did was I got a runner, and I put it all across the yard, and I put Buster on that runner. He could go back and forth. Well, one morning I was... Um, I was in the kitchen and I saw Buster. Buster went to the fence. Now I'm not kidding you. This dog climbs up the fence, gets on the very top pole, all four. He's balancing himself. And as he is aware that I'm watching him, he turns around, looks at me, and he jumps. He jumps. Well, all the slack on his chain is, is gone at the time. So when he jumps, he's hanging. And I'm thinking, this dog's going to choke himself. And I start making my way to the backyard. But what he's doing is he's hanging and he's moving his body around. 
He's moving his body around, and he basically falls out of the collar, takes off running. When I saw that, I knew this dog cannot be, he, he cannot be contained. So I knew at some point we had to do something with him, and Elisa's family from the valley came, and we're like, hey, you want a dog? <laughs> There's plenty of room to run over there. You know, you know they, they, they wanted a dog. They took him. Next time we saw them, we said, hey, how's Buster doing? They said, he ran. He took off. The last time we saw him, he's running down the road with a leash on his collar. He was gone. Well, the valley, the valley is harsh conditions for a dog, so I doubt that Buster is alive to this day. I, I doubt it. But I, I started thinking about Buster, and I started thinking about the mentality that Buster had about not, just not wanting, not wanting to be, I wouldn't even say controlled, but, but to be held back to, to be protected I started thinking about that mentality and I started thinking about how there are many in the church that are that way. They, they don't want fences. They don't want shepherding. They don't want care. Obviously, we were doing those things for Buster's sake and for his own goodness, but that's not what he wanted. And sometimes, and, and, and especially in our culture today, we say, we, we say that's a good thing. Well, they're just a free spirit. Let them be a free spirit. I agree with that to a point. But what Peter is saying here is that we must humble ourselves. We must clothe ourselves with humility. It doesn't matter if, if you have a free spirit or not. You answer to somebody. Everybody does. God has placed the pastor over your life to shepherd you. He must do it correctly. Because remember, he's going to give an account to God. And let me tell you, if he is not doing it correctly, and when I say correctly, I'm not talking about how you want him to do it, but I'm talking about how the Bible says he should do it. If he's not doing that, you need to bring it up to him. If you love your pastor, you will, because remember, he is going to give an account for the way he pastors you. Now, if you come to him and you have your personal preference and you say, I wish you would do it this way, and he looks at you and says, thank you, but no thank you, you can get your feelings hurt, but understand he is not answering to you, he's answering to God. And he must give an account to God, and he must do it the way God has laid out for him to do it in his word. You see, it is extremely important that the church realizes their responsibility to submit to their elders. And I say that knowing that this will take a huge amount of humility. But you know what? Not only humility, trust as well. I understand there are a lot of people who have been burned. I, I completely understand that. You, maybe you've been burned by your, your spiritual leadership in the past. Well, don't judge your present leadership by your past leadership. Discern. Be discerning about it. Yeah, discern the situation. Have wisdom about it. But learn and know that you are called to be humble. It's for the betterment of your soul. So that, that's the, the first one. The second thing, oh, and, and I, I do want to close with humility with this. 
in humility, we must humble ourselves towards each other because when we humble ourselves toward one another, uh, Peter says we humble ourselves to God. Listen to this, verse 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When we submit to one another, church, in essence, we're submitting to God. When we don't submit to one another, then we're rebelling against God. Now, secondly, the church must be diligently watching for the enemy. This is a very important part of this passage. Listen to Jesus' words here as he describes the devil in John chapter 8. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. We can see why it's important for us to be watchful of the devil. It's extremely important for us. The Bible calls us to be sober-minded, which just means to be self-controlled under all circumstances. Why? So that we do not fall into temptation. Well, what sort of temptation? Well, there's lust, there's hate, there's pride, there's covetousness, there's laziness, uncontrolled anger. I can go on and on and on. You see, these, these are the lies uh, that the devil places in front of us. He lies and leads us to think that these things are common and they're good. That it's okay for you to do these things with, within the church, within the body of believers. It's okay but with these things, if we're not careful, he devours our lives, our testimonies, and our ministries. And Peter says, you need to watch for him. You need to be watchful. The Greek word translated adversary, was, it's commonly used in Scripture as, as a, an opponent in a lawsuit. And when you look at the word devil, it's, its usual translation is Satan, which means slanderer. So you kind of get the picture of what the Bible paints of him. He's an accuser. That is the proper name of the devil. And his name reveals that he seeks to accuse us. He seeks to accuse us and to place us in eternal bondage. Listen, he comes to take away our very life. But Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. See, the intentions of the devil is to imprison us, but the finished work of Christ, it has set us free. It's done. It has set us free, but Peter is saying, you still need to be watchful because you still deal with sin. You still have to deal with temptation. You still have to deal with these things, and these things, they can destroy your life if you're not careful. You see, we have to be watchful. Even though we are free, as Christ has set us free, we must be watchful because the devil is still on the prowl. Now, I say that to say this. I think, in, uh, I think a lot of people's theology is wrong about the devil because they, they place... God here and then the devil here as if they're on the same playing field. They're not. They're not. They're, they're not on the same playing field. We have to remember that the devil is a fallen angel. 
He was created by somebody. He was created by God. He is not God. He's not all-powerful, all-knowing, can't be everywhere. He, he doesn't have the, attrib- the attributes that God has. He is not God's equal. Not at all. So I, I want our theology to be right about that. So he is not to be compared to God in power, but he still must be respected by us. And, and, and when I say respected, I mean for us to be watchful of him. The imagery of a lion here is borrowed from Psalms where the psalmist, the, the psalmist uh, usually depicts his enemies uh, as lions. And the metaphor here, it's, it really opens your eyes to let you see the strength and also the destructiveness of the devil. And it points to the need for alertness on the part of believers. So we must resist the devil by standing firm in our faith. That's what it says in verse 9. What does that mean? Well, it means that we must be firm in our faith that Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin. We, we must be firm in that. I saw a meme uh, posted, and I really liked it. It said, instead of... Uh, using the excuse of I'm human to sin, say, say I'm saved in order to live according to the Bible. I think we, sometimes we forget and we say, oh, I'm only human. I'm only human, so I'm going to sin. And we kind of just throw that out and say, okay, we're, yeah, we're going to sin, so let's go ahead and sin. We must remember that we have been freed from the bondage of sin. We can now live to please God. We have that capability now. When we were unbelievers, we did not. We can now do that. So we must stand firm in our faith because the devil will come and tell us, you know, it's not really, it's not really bad if you do this or do that. But if it's against God's word, then it is bad. It is unholy. And we must stand firm in our faith that Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin. We must be firm in our Faith that nothing nor nobody can take us out of his hands. We must stand firm in our faith, knowing that we are sovereignly protected by God. We must stand firm in our faith that Christ has provided a way of escape to withstand temptation. We don't don't have to take it. We don't have to sit there and say, oh, I'm going to be stronger than then I'm going to be stronger than Satan. I'm going to be stronger than, than, than the forces of evil. I'm going to be stronger than that. Bible says, no, God has, he's made a way out so that you can withstand temptation. We must be firm in our faith that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And we must be firm in our faith that he who began a good work in us will complete it in Christ Jesus. We must remember all those things because when our faith is tested and when we are tempted, sometimes we tend to forget those things. And then thirdly, lastly, though we suffer for a little while, the Bible says Christ will glorify us. Listen to this from Mark chapter 13. Here's verse 24 through 27. Talking about the last days or the last day, in those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be fallen from heaven, 
the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. I love how Peter ends with this note. Verse 6 promises that at the proper time, Christ will exalt them. Brothers and sisters, Peter's talking to the church here, to the, to, to, to the whole universal church, not just these people. This is a promise that God has made to his church that at the proper time, we will be exalted. Now listen, not that we deserve to be exalted, because we do not. But it's a promise that God has made, and he has made it unto himself. He's going to exalt us based on his own glory and for his own glory. And after suffering a little while, he will return, and he himself, Peter says, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know, we have... uh, we have a lot of births that are going on within our church, and we praise God for it. So many little babies. It's awesome. But every single time a baby is born, I, I am amazed at the strength of the women. If they give them naturally or through C-section, doesn't matter. There's one thing in common that I see in childbirth. And it's, it's so encouraging, and it reminds me of the hope that we have in Christ. And what's so encouraging is when a woman gives birth, it's such a painful experience. It's such a painful experience. They go through so much. And, and, and just to say, just to point to the actual birth is not even fair. Because there's so much that goes on in that nine months that are just... Ladies, I praise God that I'm a man. <laughs> I do. Often. Often. But I, I know as a man, that's, that's the way I think and the way God created us. But you, you ladies, are God has, God has made y'all special in, in the fact that you care so much for your children. You understand your role in society in bearing children. And even though there's so much pain from day one all the way to the very end, at some point, you forget about that pain. And you say, let's have another. And another, and another, and another. Knowing, knowing what it's going to take. Knowing what you're going to go through. Knowing all that. And yet it's like, yes, this is my calling. This is what I've, this is, this is what I've been called to do, and I'm going to do it. And the reason why I bring that up here is because, listen, this life is not easy. This life is difficult. We know we're going to have trouble. The Bible says that we will have trouble. But God has placed a hope in our heart that what we go through today, in comparison to the exaltation that we are going to experience when Christ comes back, what we go through today is light, momentary, and fleeting. He has something so much grander in store for us and again it's not because we deserve it but it's 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 because he is he's wonderful he's glorious magnificent i can go on and on 
It's because he wants to glorify himself by doing this to us. It, it's, it's completely amazing. When we look back at this glorification of the church, you know, we say it in terms, but then it's like, you know, okay, that sounds great, but do you know what that really means? I, it, sometimes it's hard. I sit there and I think about it, and it's hard for me to understand what exactly that means or how that will feel. Because we, we tend to think in earthly terms, and we really have to focus and think in spiritual terms to understand what, that, what that's going to mean for us. Well, it means that when, we, when the church is glorified, when Christ returns, it means that we will be back in the garden with God. Haven't you read the story of Adam and Eve and you wondered, how would it be to live that way? Like, how would it be to, to not, have, not have sin in your life? Not have sin in your life at all or the effects of it at all? We will be back in the garden with God where it all began. Listen to this. When, on, on that day when God glorifies his church, our faith, it will only be strong. How about that? How many of you struggle with faith? How many of you struggle with commitment How many of you struggle with anxiety and worry? Those things will be gone. Your faith will only be strong. Our work, listen to this, our work will only be prosperous. Only. It will only be prosperous. Our bodies, our bodies will only be well. No more sickness, no more death. Our bodies will only be well. Our minds, <laughs> our minds will only be right. Because sometimes we're not in our right mind. But when God glorifies his church, our minds will only be right. Our heart will only be pure. And best of all, our worship of God it will only be true. Man, what a wonderful picture that is. But it's not only a picture. It will happen. That is the hope that God has placed in our hearts. So in conclusion, Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God by submitting to your pastors and to each other. Be watchful of the devil standing firm in your faith. And know, church, know that at the proper time that Christ himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let's pray. Father, we come.